Years ago, when, when our family were, was living in Thailand, um, I think our, our girls, it must have been six and four, and Dax um, was turning one. It was actually his, his one-year-old birthday, and Anne decided that it had been a while since we had been, uh, that she'd been home to see family, and Dax was we won. She wanted family and parents and siblings and everybody to be able to meet Dax and see the girls. So she decided she was going to fly back to Texas from Thailand by herself with three kids. Six, four, and literally one year old. Um, bless her. I'm not sure what's wrong with her, but no, I'm kidding. Because uh, I wouldn't have done that, but she's a brave soul. And so she said, I got this. It's only 24 hours. What could go wrong? Right, so she gets on a plane and she takes off from Chiang Mai, Thailand, and she flies to Seoul, Korea, South Korea. Things are great, you know. Dax is there in his little bassinet thing. He's sleeping fine on that flight, and the girls are doing great. They're watching. They're just binge watching some show, I'm sure, with their personal TV. And then they get on the long flight, and this is from Seoul to DFW. We're talking like. 14 hours on a plane, and things are going fine. <laughs> Some laughter, yeah, that's a long time with three kids, yes. And, but it's going, it's going just fine. And about, I think, I don't know, a few hours left maybe, like three hours before landing, something like that. They've been on a plane for a while, so you're tired, you're really tired. But you can just kind of see the end destination that's in sight. And it's time for the meal to be served, and so here they all come, and they bring the trays, and, and all I remember from this story is at least somebody in the family had a hamburger that was on the menu. Somebody else had orange juice, so I'm not sure the option's there. But anyways, the meal had just been served, and here's Dax. He's laying in his thing. His thing. Oh, he's, you're holding Dax. Thank you. You're holding Dax at this point, right? And food is served, and the girls have their hamburgers. They're watching their show, about to eat. And all of a sudden, a little turbulence. And then out of nowhere, the plane just drops and stops for a second. They kind of look. I think I got this story right. What just happened? And then again, and even worse, the plane just drops and the food goes shooting up to the top of the plane. Bags are moving. People, it is the worst experience she's ever had on a plane. And everybody's freaking out. She looks and Literally, the hamburger is on top of the seat behind her now that one of the girls had. Orange juice is spilled everywhere. She hasn't drank orange juice since. Um, stuff is everywhere. Food's everywhere. And we have one, she looks over and this one person is just clutching their backpack. Somebody else is, has rosary beads out and is praying. And it's kind of funny now, but in the moment, this was terrifying I mean, this was like the plane dropped, I don't know how far, food everywhere, and nobody got on the air and said anything. Just carry on. And so here's Anne holding Dax with two girls holding each arm. They're not sure what's going to happen. It was scary. Well, I'm, you know, of course, in Thailand and wondering how the trip's going, and so it's about time that she had landed so I give a couple of minutes and I text, well, did you land? Have fun in Texas or something like that. How was the flight? And I get a response back, we made it, 
but we almost died. <laughs> and then silence. She had to go through immigration, and that's all I got. And I'm like, excuse me? What's happening? And I'm like, what do you mean you almost died? What happened? Anne? Anne? What, you almost died? Did you die? Why are you not answering? Like, what is happening? And it's like 20 minutes of radio silence trying to figure out what's going on with my family on the other side of the world. So finally, she gets through, and she has a moment, and she can give me a call, and she describes to me what happened. In this moment of thinking, maybe this plane is going down, and she tells this story, and I say to her, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith, Anne? I'm just kidding. I didn't actually say that, okay? I did not say that, all right? <laughs> I did not say that because that would be rude and that would be insensitive and that would be shaming in the face of legitimate fear. Also, I didn't say that because I like Anne and I like Anne liking me. So I did not say that to her. But here's the thing. Last week... We looked at Jesus calming the storm. And in this story, Jesus says those very words that I didn't say to Anne. Right? You remember this in the boat? Well, and then we looked at Jesus casting out the legion of impure spirits. Well, today we're going to reflect on the next story in Mark. Actually, it's, it's two stories intertwined into one. But all three of these, or four, depending on how you count it, they're connected and they're related. And one of the main threads that connects these stories in this section of Mark is that they all deal with fear. And they all call for faith. So up until this point in Mark's gospel, faith has only come up a couple of times, the word itself. And no one has been afraid so far. But now, well, we have a cluster of four stories in which fear gets mentioned in each one. So we're going to have to talk about fear. But I don't really want to, if I'm being honest. Honestly, because fear is really hard to figure out in Scripture. I'm afraid I might get it wrong. Fear is one of the most challenging topics in Scripture for me to get my head around. It's a slippery term. I mean, okay, just look at the verses that Susan read a few minutes ago. All right? So, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, so fear is seen in a positive light here. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Okay, wait, so, so fear is not a good thing. Wait, okay, I'm a little confused. All right, hold on. Let's try these. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. Oh, okay, good. I won't fear. And then there is, fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. So I should fear. Wait, huh? I'm confused. See why I don't want to talk about fear? And yet here we are. So let's dive in and face our fear. Let's begin with those words of Jesus that I did not quote to Anne after her flight. All right? Jesus and his disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee. 
and a storm rolls in. This storm is so great that his disciples, four of whom are fishermen, well, they fear for their lives. They are afraid that they're going to perish. And there's Jesus catching some Z's. And so they wake him up and they ask if he cares whether or not they survive. And so Jesus replies, you know, after the cool calming the storm act, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And according to our translation, the next sentence after Jesus says this is, and they were terrified. I love that. I love it. Why are you afraid? Well, we aren't afraid. We're terrified, okay? So what do we do with these words of Jesus? Here they are facing a violent storm, the kind that makes you think you will die, and they're supposed to not be afraid? But hey, Jesus said it, so I guess that's it. In the face of dangers, even potential fear and potential death, we should not be afraid. We should just have more faith. That's the lesson here, right? Just believe. But I don't like how that sounds when I fictionally said it to Anne. And yet I'm afraid some of us hear this story and we internalize something like the following. Well, Jesus tells me I should not fear. I just need more faith. So when I first sense my heart rate increase and that feeling in the pit of my stomach, well, just, just grit my teeth, and clench my jaw, tighten my fists, I will not fear. Shut it down. And I just resolve to have more faith. Come on, Darren, just believe. And then when the fear creeps back in, well, I question my faith. I bet Jesus is disappointed in me. Now, I don't know if any of you need to hear this this morning, but Jesus is not disappointed in you when your fear gets the best of you. Jesus is not scolding his disciples for feeling fear. And Jesus is not scolding you. Because here's the thing, fear is natural. Fear can actually be a good thing. Fear is what makes us alert to dangers. Fear can save us from potential threats to our lives, like violent storms when you're on the open seas. Fear can be a good thing. The only thing to fear is fear itself, FDR says. Well, I'm guessing he never watched Jaws. So let's see if we can make sense of Jesus' words and more broadly, the relationship between faith and fear in these stories. So that instead of leading us to self-doubt and shame, we might encounter a Jesus who wants to take up all of our fears and hold them with love and compassion. So first of all, Let's deal with this story, calming the seas. The word for fear that Jesus uses here in the calming of the storm is only used one other time in the Bible. So it's a rare word. It's not 
the more common word we have for fear, phobeo, that we hear in these stories. Okay? So the word that Jesus uses with the disciples in the boat, well, it means something like to be timid, to lack courage. I point this out because I think it's important that we differentiate this instance and all the other times fear is referenced. Now, I don't know if I completely understand why Jesus says this. It can easily sound rude and insensitive and shaming. But I wonder if Jesus is not so much calling them out for being afraid of dying. But he's calling them out for being timid and lacking courage in asking Jesus to save them. If you notice, they almost sound passive-aggressive when they wake Jesus. Do you not care? They disturb him reluctantly. They approach him timidly. Where's the bold faith willing to approach him so that he can save them? Well, we're about to encounter that kind of faith. Mark 5, starting in verse 21. When Jesus had Excuse me. When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed. And live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed him and pressed around him. And a woman was there who was subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering and at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who, who touched my clothes? You, you see the, the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, you see them? And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking, kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. 
Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went in where the child was, took her by the hand, and said to her, Talitha kum, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. The story of the calming of the storm, the casting out of the legion of impure spirits, and now the stories of the bleeding woman and Jairus' daughter, well, they highlight the three big fears in the ancient world. The trinity of terrors, if you will. You have natural disasters, the spiritual realm, and sickness and death. And fear is a response in each of these stories. Let's look at the, the responses in each of them and see if we can find something in common to help us make sense of fear and of faith. First, When Jesus calms the storm, Mark says that the disciples were terrified. Literally, they feared a great fear. And then after Jesus casts out the impure spirits into the pigs, well, Mark tells us that the townspeople came out and saw that, quote, the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, he was sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were terrified. And now, after the bleeding woman is healed, well, Mark says that she was fearing and trembling. And when Jairus' people come to report that his daughter has died, Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. So here's my best analysis of a common thread when fear shows up in Scripture, or at least in these stories. Fear is the reaction to something that is beyond our comprehension. Something that reveals how little control we have. That we have encountered something much more powerful than ourselves. And sometimes that fear feels more akin to intimidation or or terror. And sometimes it feels more like awe and reverence. Jesus calms the storm. Who is this? Who can quiet the wind and the waves? It's beyond our comprehension. The demoniac is in his right mind after all this time. How can this be? What kind of power does this this guy possess? Just get away from us. 
We don't understand this thing we've experienced. After 12 years of this condition, this guy actually healed me? He saved me? How can it be? Who am I to be in the presence of one with this kind of power? Your daughter has died. Death is more than we can bear. We are at the mercy of the power of death. We can't control it. Can anyone? Sometimes things like death or demons are the source of the fear. And Scripture wants us to say, well, it might seem like things are out of control and we are powerless, but there is one who's even more powerful. And other times, it's God and God's activity that is the source of our fear because God is more than we can comprehend. And now, in these cases, fear is seen more positively. But in both cases, we are overwhelmed. And in both cases, we are called to faith. And I think we can see this if we zero in on the interaction between Jesus and the bleeding woman. But first, another plane story. So, Ann and I have been on a lot of planes together for long hours. And we have two different MOs when we get on planes, okay? And this one time is a good example of this. We were flying, this was before we had children, and we were flying from Thailand to Seoul, to Texas. Well, we get on the plane, and we're in Bangkok, and we get on this plane, and we sit down, and here's this Thai woman. She's on the, the window seat, and then there's Anne, and then there's me. And we sit down, I put my bags away, I put my seatbelt on, and I put my headphones in, and I grab my book, and I've settled in. I look over, and Anne's talking to this Thai woman. I'm like, I'm sure she's just asking her how she's doing today. And I look over five minutes later. She's still talking to this Thai woman. I'm trying to read my book. Ten minutes later, we're still on the tarmac. We haven't even taxied. And this young Thai woman is crying. She is in tears. And Anne is holding her. And for the next, I don't know, two hours, this woman goes on to tell her life story to Anne. And I've still got my earphones in. <laughs> Don't bother me with your stories. <laughs> and I just kind of look at Anne. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, we get to South Korea and Seoul. Anne says bye to her new best friend. And we, we get on the next plane for the long leg. We sit down. And now I've got the window seat. And I sit down and doop, got my earphones in. Got my book out. And Anne sits down next to me, and then on the aisle seat is this older Korean man. And lo and behold, <laughs> before we even taxiing, here's this Korean man, tears streaming down his face, and Anne is consoling him, and I'm looking at her, and I mean, we're, here we are on this flight later, and I look over, and here's this man, and Anne just telling their live stories over kimchi. And I'm like, what is happening here? I just want to be by myself in my, hair, in my headphones. Leave me alone. And here's Anne, as she always is, interruptible to encounter people. 
I love how Anne is interruptible. And I love how Jesus is interruptible. You see this? I mean, here's Jesus. He's on his way somewhere, somewhere very important, right? I mean, Jairus' daughter is deathly ill. Jesus is willing to stop and pay attention to this woman who has touched him. I wish I was more interruptible. Because honestly, I think we're the healthiest when we're interruptible. So here's this woman interrupting Jesus. Here she is approaching him, and, and Mark, who rarely has time to give us details, gives us a decent amount of information about her, like he did when describing the demoniac. So here she is. She comes to find this Jesus guy because she has a condition, a condition in which she is hemorrhaging blood, and it won't stop. For 12 years now, as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive, she's been bleeding. And she's tried everything. She's sought medical help, multiple doctors, and they've only brought on more pain and suffering. And she spent all she has in her quest for a cure. She's at her end. And her condition is just getting worse. And besides the health situation, this condition of bleeding means that she's unclean. It means she's stigmatized. She's marginalized. It means she must remain separate, unable to touch anyone because of her very body. Because just by touching someone, she can make them unclean. How scary must this be? How much fear has she faced these 12 long years? How desperate must she be? So she comes looking for this Jesus guy who might be her last hope of being made whole. She comes bringing all the suffering and fear of these 12 years because where else can her help come from? She comes for him to save her. And you know, the guys in the boat, in their fear and desperation, well, they're not bold enough. They don't have enough faith to ask Jesus to save them. But this woman, oh, she will. She will scratch and claw through the crowd to get to him. She will cross over all the boundaries the world has put up around her. She will knock over any obstacles that religious institutions have put in front of her. She will do whatever it takes to touch him. Because she believes this Jesus guy can save her. And so when it happens, when she feels her body made whole, a feeling she hasn't felt in 12 long years, 
she's overwhelmed. She can't imagine how great this person is that has saved her. What kind of power must he have? Who must he be? So in the presence of this man who has done what no one else could, she fears and trembles because she's experienced something beyond her comprehension. Oh, and Jesus' response to her. When he feels the power go out of him, he turns to look for the person who touched him. And when he can't find the person, he keeps looking. And when he can't find the person, he keeps looking. Because he wants to meet this person who has such great faith, who believed he could save her. And when the woman steps up and then falls down in front of him, Jesus doesn't tell her to stop fearing. Jesus doesn't tell her that she didn't approach him the right way. Jesus didn't even respond with good and faithful servant. Jesus sees this woman, this woman who has been cut off. This woman who has been told she can't be included. This woman whose desperation propelled her to reach out and touch him in faith. This woman, Jesus, looks at her and calls her daughter. Daughter. This is who Jesus is. He's not here to scold or shame just because this world can make us afraid at times. No, Jesus is here to take all our fears and to respond with love, with care, with compassion, to respond with a term of affection, to respond in a way that says, I know it can be scary, but I'm here. Daughter, And so when Jairus' people come and say that his daughter has died, well, Jesus responds. And I picture him looking at Jairus right in the eyes. This guy who has just heard the scariest news a dad can hear. His daughter has died. And Jesus says, I know death can be scary. But remember when you came to me in faith, asking me to save her? Just keep believing. Keep believing it. Don't be overwhelmed with the fear of her death. Be overwhelmed with the fact that I can save her. Just believe. Because soon... You're going to hear me say, Talitha Kum, little girl, arise. 